you've found the Winding Road Podcast, hosted by Jason and Isaac. We're two friends who are sitting in the driveway just chatting about cars over some drinks, while two of our favorite cars are sitting behind us shining in the sun. We never know where the conversation will go, but we hope you join us. Happy Monday, everyone. Uh, Jason and I are back here talking to you about cars. I heard some rumors this week. I'm going to get started with that. Or not a rumor, but I guess it's confirmed. So the new Supra, when that came out, um, do you know a lot about that, Jason, as far as anything, any details when it first came out a few years ago? I know, you know, surface stuff. Um, I know a lot of people, I think, were complaining about it being underpowered and I think it had a BMW sourced engine or am I making that up? Um, you're correct about the, the BMW engine. Uh, I hadn't heard about it being underpowered. I hadn't had, I hadn't heard that as a complaint. Um, do you remember where you might've heard that? Um, no, I just feel like, uh, I just think I read it, you know, just people talking on Facebook or what have you. It's a three liter, isn't it? Or no. So originally, yes, it was launched with a three-liter uh, turbo V6 or turbo inline six. I don't remember if it was single turbo or twin. Uh-huh. Uh, it shares, so it's a twin to the the new Z4, okay. and it shares one of their well-known inline sixes. Uh, they have several different engine codes. That's a B58. I actually just saw it. Now. I, was, I was about to say that I don't know which one it is because they have several different ones. But anyway, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's got the, the BMW inline six turbocharged. And then a, about a year ago, they uh, also added the two liter four cylinder turbo. I mean, I've never driven one or anything like that. I'm, I'm a fan of the styling. Yes. Um, and I think that I mean, the, the Supra, not the first gen, I guess the second gen, um, is just such a iconic car. I mean, it was, it was I think, ahead of its time. Um, I don't know what they cost new back then. I'm talking, like, I guess late 90s. Like the, like the one that like Paul Walker had in Fast and Furious. That was actually the fourth generation. That was the fourth gen? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the fourth generation because they started out as a as a variation of the Celica. It was a Celica Supra uh, in the early uh, '80s, or maybe maybe like '79, and wow. then it I think mid '80s for the second generation it became its own model. Okay, and um, that was like a, a square one. Yeah, and then uh, there was a third generation in the early nineties. And then the fourth generation is one everyone knows now okay. that was made, made famous by the fast and the furious. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think that, um, I, I like them still, those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, even I know I don't, you're not a huge target top guy, right? Uh, I, ha- I, I can't write them off cause I've never driven with one. Um, yeah. but in general, no, I'm talking just like, from a look standpoint. Uh, it depends on the car. Okay. It depends on the car. And like the the 911s had several different versions of it. And some mm-hmm. I think look better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, some some cars look better with it than others. Uh, there's been a lot of, I, I say a lot, but probably like, I could probably think of six or 10 cars that have had a target top at some point. When, some, um, look, some look better than others. How do you feel about the super target top? Uh, on the last generation, I'm indifferent about it. 
you're indifferent about it. I don't know. I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's different. So I think I know where you're going with the rumor, though. Okay. So when the Super was launched, it was highly criticized because it was automatic only. Yeah. And then the, the next thing that came out was a two-liter four-cylinder, but it was still automatic. Mm-hmm. And some of the people I listened to, like car reviewers, they said that they've speak, spoken with Toyota um, officials and the Toyota said that they're going to have something new for the car every year. And so the second mm. year, it was the four-cylinder. And so mm-hmm. it lowered the price point a little bit and it actually changed the driving dynamics a little bit because there's less weight in the front. So it was more uh-huh. balanced. Okay. Um, but they never said anything about a manual transmission. As I mentioned before, some of the car journalists that I, that I listened to and stuff like that, they speculated that they were holding the manual transmission as an ace up at their sleeve because um, the new Nissan Z car was scheduled to come out at some point. Mm-hmm. And that one, when they released the concept about a year ago, in the in the photos, it showed a manual transmission. And so spoiler alert, there, there was speculation that <laughs> Toyota wanted to spoil their party and take thunder from their car launch. Well, huh. a couple of days ago, I started seeing videos, which they're still basically they're very basic videos. Like um, Jason Camisa released a video of just like uh, a, a, the new Z pulling away from a stop and Matt Farah he released a video the other day where it's just him driving around the track and you hear the, hear the car, the new, the new Z mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're currently under embargo, which means th- they had a bunch of journalists at a, at a, like the car launch for the Z, but they're not allowed to talk about the car until it's officially released on a certain date. Mm-hmm. Well, around that time, apparently Toyota said, Oh, by the way, we're going to make the super in a manual after all. And so I was just reading and confirming it myself. Uh, Car and Driver released this. Actually, wow, it was a couple of days ago. April 28th, Car and Driver announced that the new Supra is going to be a six-speed available in the four-cylinder. I'm sorry, in the, in the six-cylinder re- version, uh, starting with the 23 model year. And the four-cylinder wow. is still going to be automatic only. So this was one of the cars that was on my test drive list before I got the Cayman. But I never mm-hmm. tested of it. I just decided on the Cayman without driving anything else. I, I may have to go test drive one if I can get my hands on one, although they're probably going to be very marked up and very hard to come by because everyone's been waiting for them. So I'd love to drive one, a super manual. I'd also love to drive the new Z car when it comes out because, uh, you know, we have the two infinities and they're related to the Z car. Um, so I think it would be cool to have like a 400Z and the G37 in the same garage. I think that'd be kind of cool to have like sister cars. So a lot going on there. I'm excited that they're finally coming out with it as it was speculated. And yeah, as much as I like my Cayman, I still want to drive those two cars. Um, but I think they're both going to be marked up at least five grand, maybe 10. Um, and I really like my Cayman, but they're still on my road test list. So I'd like to test drive both of them. But I think it'd be really cool to have a, a 400Z and my wife's car in the in the same garage. I think that'd be pretty cool. Like sister cars. Yeah, that would be cool. Do you remember was the Z at the Philly Auto Show? I don't remember if we saw yeah. that or not. Yeah. It was like right when we walked in on the left. 
and we looked at it. Yeah, it was we uh, quickly. It was the first car. It was locked up, so we couldn't really experience it. Did we see the Supra? Uh, I don't remember seeing the Supra. I don't remember if it was there or not. I think it was. I might have had you sit in it, but I don't remember. But I sat I in that, it. I definitely sat in it. Oh, uh, was it was it orange? I think I specifically wanted to sit in the Supra and the BRZ. I remember the BRZ. Huh. Well, I, I think I commented that the Supra was there, but not the GR86. Was it that or was it that the BRZ was there and not the GR86? That's what I mean. Like, okay. um, Toyota didn't have the, the GR86 there, but Subaru did have the BRZ there, Got which is fine because they're essentially very similar cars. Right. Um, from just sitting in its standpoint. I feel like um, buying a Supra stick and keeping the miles, kind of like storing it away and not really using it that much, I feel like that would be one of those cars where like 20 years later, it'll be you know worth a fortune. I don't know, because it depends on how long they make it for. If they make it for five years and stop production because they don't sell enough Supras in general, then mm. yeah, you might be right. But if it's something that they return with, like for example, the Camaro came back in 2010 mm -hmm. and they've continued to make it. So now it's, it doesn't matter what kind of Camaro you have. Now, not that the Camaro was ever really a collector's item, but I know specifically someone who bought um, a 2002 Trans Am because they were being killed off. And while it's not a Camaro, a lot of people did the same thing with the Camaro SS in 02 because it was the last, it was the last like F body. And so they, like the one guy I'm thinking of, he has a, a O2 Trans Am WS6. Mm. And I don't know now, cause I haven't talked to him in about 10 years, but mm -hmm. the last I knew in 2010, it was eight, like eight years old. and only had like 20,000 miles on it because he almost wow. never drove it. Now, do you think that that car has gained value in that, in that capacity or no? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's, there are probably some people out there that are like F body diehards that yeah. will appreciate that car and, and desire that kind of a car with, mm -hmm. you know, low miles. Cause it's the last Trans Am. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, for me, it's still an early two thousands, late nineties GM trash bin that, you know, the mm -hmm. interior plastics are garbage. The fit and finish is garbage. Um, mm -hmm. it just doesn't handle well. It's not as fast as current cars because it's 20 years old now. I might say it's worth $10,000, but you know, I, I, I think it's generous. Oh uh, yeah, I think so too. I, uh, I was never impressed with those cars where they have, I think a three, a five, five, seven, three fifty in it. Yeah. I think they look um, good. The trend, the last generation Trans Am looked mean and it did. But I actually saw one. Of, yeah. I saw one a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago on the road. And I was like, wow, that looks old now. Yeah. Like the styling didn't age well. It's very 90s. Mm -hmm. Radwood would appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Now you got me wondering about the Supras. <laughs> so would you trade in the Cayman? Would you get rid of the Cayman for that? Well, if I decided that I really liked it and yeah. liked it more than the Cayman, yeah, that's what I would do. But I can't see it happening. I don't think I don't think Sarah is ready to let me buy another car yet. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm still enjoying the Cayman, and mm -hmm. it doesn't have all the tech that the new cars have. So I like that. I'm actually enjoying that there's no tech in the car. 
um, like, like driver aids and things like that. So while I think it'd be cool to own and drive the new Supra, it's definitely going to drive different. I think it's going to drive heavier and uh, just different than, than my Cayman. I think it's going to be like a smaller version of my father-in-law's M4. And I don't necessarily mm -hmm. enjoy driving that. Mm -hmm. Like the M, obviously it's smaller than the M4. It's actually almost the same size as my Cayman, but I think it would just still drive bigger just because it's heavier. I think you should hang on to the Cayman, even if you got something to, you know, I guess not, I don't want to replace it, but in addition to just, that'd be cool to keep that car and always just have it because I think it's, you know the history on it pretty well, and you've got a lot of stuff done to it as far as maintenance. Um, I think it's going to be harder and harder to find those cars without all the new tech and all that stuff that's been well taken care of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I get attached to my cars. I, just, I have a hard time letting them go. I've got a couple things on my list for tonight. Did you look up the dual volute turbo we were talking about? I did. That looks really interesting to me. Yeah. It's it's a I think it's a really cool concept and uh, it shows like that's there's still people innovating because you'd think a turbo yeah. is a turbo. Well, right, turbo is a turbo in my mind, and uh, we seem to be going all the like, all the way of electric now. So it's cool to see that we're still innovating as efficient as possible. But um, yeah, I thought it was really weird and a really cool design. I thought something that I was thinking about though. I was thinking about, you know, all the, you know, with electrics and stuff like that. And I know that, you know, you're a motorcycle guy. I've been on motorcycles myself. Um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on electric motorcycles because I've been seeing those pop up. And I feel like there's always a argument for loud motorcycles to kind of for safety reasons. So you know, if you have an electric motorcycle, obviously it's not going to make a lot of noise. It's like, what do you think about that? I didn't think about it from that perspective. Functionally, I think it can make sense as a commuter. You know, if you have like an 80 mile range, that's, mm -hmm. you know, like for me, an 80 mile range would get me, it would get me a commute and a half, almost two full commutes. So it would get me to and from and then two, and I'd have to charge it at work or be really close to not making it home. Um, <laughs> like I think the, I think the Harley Livewire, I think it's got about an 80 mile range and my commute's 46 miles round trip. So I would mm -hmm. be, you know, like 10 miles short. Um, so I'd get halfway home. That would just mean, you know, charge it every other day or every day after work. And, you know, as a, as a commuter, it's a good, it's a good way to, you know, be more economical. And I think it would still be fun and punchy because of the torque of the electric motor. Um, but from a safety standpoint, that's an interesting thought I haven't thought of before. And I can see both sides of it where, you know, you want to be able to have people hear you. There have been some times where I've not heard a motorcycle, but I've seen it. But usually I will see a motorcycle and not hear it. Uh, or I'll see it and hear it. So this, yeah, the safety aspect I haven't really thought of because while from being a motorcycle rider standpoint, 
there have been times where there were a few times where people didn't necessarily see me, but usually they heard me. Um, mm. But as a, as a if you're a responsible rider, you learn to anticipate what drivers are probably going to do. Um, and actually, I think it helps my driving because I can look at a car and I can predict they're probably going to do one of three things under various situations. What they're either going to you know do whatever. So I've come to predict that. And I've also learned to be more vigilant for my surroundings as I'm driving. So whether it's a motorcycle or a car that's creeping into my lane or something like that, that being said, that's not most drivers. And so I Mm -hmm. can see the benefit of having a vehicle that you can hear. Electric cars, it's not really as big of a deal because yeah, they take up more space, but you don't really hear cars on the road anyway no matter what kind of engine they have unless it's loud unless they have a loud exhaust or something like that you hear mostly the the car noise or the tire noise i should say and the road noise but a motorcycle it may need to be to have some kind of noise to it i know electric cars they're programming in noises for like parking lot speed so up to 10 or 15 miles an hour there's a noise that the car generates so pedestrians can hear them Wow, really? Yeah. That's um, interesting. I don't know if it's a law yet, but pretty much every car is doing that. Wow. Uh, so they'll make various noises just so p- pedestrians can hear them, like around city streets and intersections and things like that, parking lots. But I don't, I, I don't know enough about electric motorcycles to know what they're doing on the safety front. Mm-hmm. But I haven't thought of it before. It's a good, it's a good point. Yeah, only because, you know, electric cars, they're cars, so they're bigger. And if there's there's more of a margin for error, like if someone comes in your lane, you can swerve or hit the brakes real hard and you, most likely everything's going to be okay. But with a motorcycle, if you have to take a bit, you know, evasive action and to like jam on your brakes or swerve or stop to avoid something. And plus you're not as visible as a car is, right? So I don't know, to me, it's just, um, I think that sometimes, you know, motorcycles I think can be criticized for being obnoxious, like too loud sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think it also has a lot to do with the, who's, who's driving it. I think my, my wife could uh, attest to that. <laughs> um, you know, for instance, like there's a, a bar that we go to once in a while, and um, there's a lot of motorcycles go to this bar. And for some reason, every time one leaves, it likes to, you know, be really aggressive and you know rev its rev its engine and probably do like a burnout in the parking lot. And Kelsey just like can't stand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cracks me up every time. But um, I guess to, to me, it's just like, you know, I feel like the, the, the noise standpoint um, is, is on the motorcyclist side because you hear it and you're looking out for it. Whereas if you're on like an electric motorcycle with all the cars on the road today and, and 90% of them aren't paying attention, I just think it's a little more dangerous than a regular motorcycle would be. Yeah, I think it just is going to require more vigilance on as like you have to be your own advocate on a motorcycle to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. And so I don't think for a motorcyclist that really changes. Maybe it's increased a little bit because there's not the noise there. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think you just have to be your own advocate if you're on a motorcycle and yeah. assume that no one's going to see or hear you. Even if you're on a Harley with exhaust, I've ridden up True. with somebody or near somebody before and they didn't really notice me right away. Unfortunately, sometimes people don't even notice other cars that are in front of them that they're pulling out in front of. It's just kind of comes with the territory. I think if you want to be a motorcyclist, you're just going to have to come to the realization that people aren't going to see you and hear you. And you just have to be more cognizant of that and just be more vigilant and paying attention than you already were. Um, let me ask you this. So you not owning a motorcycle currently, do you still maintain the motorcycle endorsement? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's not really a point to, I could probably get it removed if I want to. I think it'll add like five or 10 bucks every time I renew my license, but you don't notice the cost because you only renew every four years here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I ever want to get another motorcycle, I don't have to go through the testing all over again. When so, you got when you got yours, did you have to do you know the, the book test as well as like the driving test? So I took the safety course, okay. and so like you get your permit, and then I yeah. uh, can sign up for the course, which is free. And at the end of the course, if you pass their like obstacle course test, then um, they pass you, and you get your license. And it's the easiest way to do it. And you also learn a lot of things along the way. And I would recommend it to everybody. Um, So that's the way I did it. The other way is is harder. Like you basically go and take a riding test in a parking lot somewhere. And, um, you know, it's, it's essentially the same. It's, it's the end, the end is the same and the beginning is the same, but in the middle, you're not getting the, the training and advice and experience from, you know, other riders and, and stuff like that. And so you're kind of at it starting at a disadvantage, but, and it's free. I mean, it only takes like three or four Saturdays. I think maybe it was two Saturdays. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Wow. It's been almost 20 years actually. Oh my gosh. Um, but it was well worth it, especially cause it was, you know, it came with the price of your, of your permit. I did or, the same or thing. license or something. I, yeah. I did the same thing. I forget exactly. I think it was two Saturdays. I think it was maybe four Saturdays, two Saturdays for, you know, book learning and then a few Saturdays for driving. I don't remember, but I remember they had us on like hundred, like 125 CC like little tiny motorcycles yeah. and you could like, you could throw those things around. It was awesome. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I had a great time doing that. My one, so we had two instructors and one of them had, you know, the, the stereotypical big Harley bagger, the ultra glide. Um, mm-hmm. with, you know, had the bat wig, fa- bat wing fairing and like the, the two hard bags on the back and then the top bag that was hard. Yeah. He did the course that we were testing with those bikes. Jeez. He was, he was like laying it over and scraping his floorboards and like just maneuvering it. And it was just all inspiring to see, but he's like, it doesn't matter what bike you're on. You can do this course. It's just a matter of, you know, technique and practice and stuff like that. And but, those things are those things are pretty pretty heavy, I would imagine, right? Yeah, that that model was between eight hundred and a thousand pounds. Jeez. Yeah. 
I would do that course again just for the fun of it because it was yeah. I had a great time. Um, fun fact: I've been I've had my car for two and a half years now, and I know we've talked about wind buffeting before. And for some reason, I don't know. I never like to put my back windows down. I just don't. I don't ever do it. But when I drive with like my, my front windows down, it, it's um, it's like a lot of wind. You know, it's like all over the place inside in, inside the cabin of the car, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it's annoying actually. So the other day, I just like happened to put the back window down while I was driving home, and it's crazy. It totally removed all like the the wind disruption inside the uh-huh. car. So now if I just crack the rear windows, I can have the front windows down and basically almost feel no air coming through. It's it's, yeah. it's amazing. I've experienced that or experimented with it with a couple of different vehicles. When I had my Golf, I found that if I had um, like my driver's window down and I cracked the rear window on the opposite side, mm-hmm. it it was great. Or like I could, I could open the roof and crack one of the rear windows. And it, all it does is it's a relieving pressure in the car mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because basically air is coming in from that open window and it has nowhere to go. So it's just building up pressure and stuff like that. Um, doesn't work on Sarah's car though. Uh, I've tried cause she will like to put her window down when I'm driving and no matter what I do, which rear window, or if I crack my window or whatever, I can't seem to find a position that reduces that, that pressure. Anymore. Like it doesn't have buffeting, but like when I had longer hair or various hairstyle, like it would annoy me because it would, my hair would fly all over the place and, and mess up my hair. And it sounds really stupid, but it was annoying. So I was always experimenting with windows in her car and I can't seem to find a good setting, but now I don't really care as much. But that's one nice thing about the Cayman is it doesn't really have that. Like I can, basically when I put my windows down, it's like you were just describing with your car when you put the back window down. But you just have the two, like you don't have rear quarters that go down, right? It's just no. the front door windows, right? Yeah. And like, I can't do, I don't have the same experience in the M4 and I think it's because the M4 has rear seats. And so it's like that whole rear area, there's a lot more volume there. Whereas with my car, it's pretty much the front two seats. And then there's a small area above, like behind the, the behind the seats. It's like you can fit a, a suitcase in there, but it's nowhere near the size of a passenger compartment. And right. so it's, I find it's perfect. I love having the windows down in this car. You know, I don't remember my Mustang having that problem either, though. I think it has to do with the construction and how the cabin is designed or maybe how the exterior is designed even. Um, yes, to an extent, but I do remember it being that way. On the, on the Mustang? Yeah. Huh. I just didn't mind as much when I was younger because I liked having the windows down. But as I got older, it, I, I don't like... The only downside about having windows down is all the road noise, like, especially if you're on the highway. It's like loud and you can't really have a conversation. Um, mm. But like if if you have a four door and you put all four windows all the way down, it's just like, I don't know. I find it annoying now. I think I got used to having automatic climate control and the temperature always being exactly where I want it and then it being quiet. And so I can listen to podcasts and I don't have to turn it way up or whatever. 
Um, Even when you're by yourself. Yeah. I see. I I like to have the windows down. It's just I feel like I don't want to say it's a nature thing, but I feel like it's I don't know more full experience. Mm-hmm. You get the smells. You get the hear other cars, that kind of thing. But I do appreciate a good climate-controlled interior. <laughs> it's it's a nice thing. I actually found that I, like with the Outback and with her car, I find that I don't open the, like I used to, when I had my Civic back in the day, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I found what I like to do, like in the wintertime, I would put the heat on the floor and mm-hmm. I would crack, I would, cra- I would tilt the sunroof open. And so mm-hmm. like, the, the air was rising to the top. So I didn't have hot air blowing on my face, mm-hmm. but it was a com- comfortable temperature in the, in the cabin. Mm-hmm. And I had, my feet were warm and I was comfortable. And I always did that, like with my golf and stuff like that. And then when I started driving her car with the automatic climate control, I found that it's just nice. It's always at the correct setting and stuff like that. So I don't really, plus her, for some reason, her moonroof is really loud if it's open. Whereas my golf and my Civic were quieter. So that's also a reason I don't open that anymore. But automatic climate control is nice. I, I think if you could have a car with automatic climate control, I don't really see the point in having a sunroof. If, unless you would just like having the light shine in, which I don't like baking. Yeah. I don't ever use auto, honestly, for some reason. But I, I'm the same way. In the wintertime, I never have it on the dash fence. I always have it. Defrost and floor, because I like I like the um, like indirect warmth. Right. But like in the summertime, I'll have that AC like full blast in my face. Here's a good question: What's the difference between a sunroof and a moonroof? Riddle, riddle me that. I think it started from back in the day where it was a removable metal panel from the roof. Uh, a friend of mine had a Beretta GTZ. Oh, when we were in high I school. was about to say Beretta because my <laughs> friend had the same thing. I was going to say, I was like, my buddy had a Beretta. Good. Yeah, that actually had a, re- a removable metal panel. Um, yeah. Or was it glass? I don't remember, but it, it was, was glass. removable. It was glass. Yeah. You either tilted it up or you removed it completely. Yeah. And that was a sunroof because when, because um, it was just, it was always, I think because it was always there and open or whatever, but I mm-hmm. think they started calling them moon roofs when you could retract it into the mm-hmm. into the roof, um, and like it was closable, um, and it was tinted, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think they're kind of used interchangeably now, like like Kleenex and tissues, but they originally I think started off one was removable, one was not, but I don't know exactly. And it That's might funny. have also been a trademark <laughs> thing. Could be, yeah. That's awesome. The old school Beretta. Yeah, he had a, it was a Beretta GTZ. It was maroon. Uh, yeah, he had that when I had my Grand Am. Mm-hmm. So it was a cool car. Yeah. Right, I think they were like 3.1 liter six cylinders. No, the, the GTZ was, a, I think, a 2.3 liter inline four. And then there was the GTU. And I think that one might have had the, I don't know exactly the, the different models, but um, his was the inline four. What was what was the other one? It was like a Z, it was a Z34. So the Beretta, I had a, I looked it up real quick um, because I was curious. So I found the wiki page, mm-hmm. and one thing I didn't know it was it had two assembly plants: one in Wilmington, Delaware, wow. and one one in Linden, New Jersey. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of cool. 
Yeah, the Beretta um, was our local vehicle. Yeah. So they had three, di- uh, three different four-cylinders and three different six-cylinders. So the one that my friend had was a 2.3 straight straight four. Um, so the models were the base, which had a 2.2 liter, three-speed automatic, or you could get a, a V6, probably the 2.8 liter, like the basic 2.8 liter that was a dog. Um, then you could get a GT, which had, ooh, it had 125 horsepower, 2.8 liter V6, and then um, it became to a, became a 3.1 in 1990. And then there was a GTU that had a special suspension package and 16-inch wheels and body kits. Was it the Z36? Is that was like the high so, the, the high one? Yeah, the it was the Z26 for Z26. them. So. Then after the, then there was GTZ, which replaced the GTU, and it's, it, they called that the high-performance model. And it had Oldsmobile's 2.3-liter quad four with 180 horsepower and a Getrag five-speed, and then the performance suspension. And then in 94, you could get the GT, or the GT and the GTZ were replaced by the Z26 in 94. And so then the Cavalier was a Z24. It was a Beretta. GT uh, Z26 and then the Lumina Z34. Funny how I think, particularly in my experience as a kid with cars, I have, and I remember at the pool that I used to go to as a kid, one of the lifeguards had it was a red Beretta Z. You said Z26. Six. I just like, I mean, not not like a not like a crazy car. It's pretty cool, but like as a kid, I remember being like, wow, like that's that thing looks awesome. Mm-hmm. It's had a body kit on it, and it, you know, I think it had a spoiler on it, and I just remember being like, like blown away by it. And if I was an adult seeing that same car back then, I probably wouldn't have cared that much about it. If that makes any sense. I mean, the so the picture on the wiki page has a black Z26, and it looks good, especially because the the bow tie in the on the front bumper was red, so a red outline, yeah. and the wheel the wheels are nice. Like it looks like a good looking car. Um, also, they have a picture of a teal Indy 500 pace car edition. Were those things, though, like, were they any anything special? No. I mean, they had, looks like the highest power was the 180 horsepower, 2.3 liter four-cylinder. And they weren't turboed or anything. They are NA, right? Right. And then the V6 had a 155 horsepower, 160 horsepower. So, I mean, this is back in the late 80s, early 90s when all the engines were dogs because of they were still figuring out emissions and stuff like that. A black Beretta Z26 looks pretty good. I remember a buddy of mine, right when we had gotten our license, he had his first car. I just bought it off some guy. It was, I think it was like an 88 Beretta big base model. And it, it was like teal. But we loved it because we were like driving down to the store and that thing. Like we didn't, we were just happy to have a car. But I don't remember being them. I don't remember those things being like uh, excellent performers. I mean, it was one of the quicker cars in our in our group of friends. Like my car, I had uh, a Grand Am with the Tech Four in it, mm-hmm. the two point five liter um, dog. I think it had like ninety horsepower or something like that. And what year was that? Mine was an eighty six. 86 okay i had another friend with a grand m four-door i think he had the quad four in his 
and what else? We had somebody else. He had a he had a like an eighty nine to ninety ish um, Blazer two door. That was a cool little truck. I like those. Uh, the S ten Blazer, not the full size Blazer. Yeah, right. Um, and and they had what was it the Typhoon? That was a version of it of the GMC. There was a Typhoon and the Cyclone. Cyclone so was the pickup, right? Yeah, yeah. And apparently, actually, I just I just learned this recently. Jason Camisa did um, a comparison. I think I told you about a week or two ago between uh, the 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 Rivian and the the TRX and the, yeah. the Raptor. Mm-hmm. In that same video, he also had them all race a Typhoon, Ooh. or I mean, a Cyclone, the pickup. He raced the Cyclone. Apparently, that actually held an acceleration record for trucks for a long time until just recently. Because it apparently was quicker than I remember it being. Um, but a Rivian towing a Typhoon was quicker than the Raptor. Towing on a, on a trailer? Yeah. Was quicker than a Raptor? Yeah. Did the Which, Raptor have a six-owner in it? Yeah, the current ones. They, they originally had a the 6.2 in them. But, um, I mean, it's, it's electric cars. That's how they are. Like, you've probably seen the drag race of the tesla model x towing a tesla model s and being faster than like some kind of 911 or something from you know 10 years ago i didn't see that i did see it might have been it might have been on um jason's site but i feel i forget it was i think it was a tesla trying to do like a tug of war with with like an f-150 or something like that mm. And they were saying how it wasn't how you can't really compare the two like, on on a, on a test like that just because of they're just night and day. Yeah. Another fun fact. Um, I know you're a coffee guy, but not to the extent of well, I'm not a coffee guy to the extent of you are. I know what your Sunday coffee's like. Um, but I get my coffee at Dunkin' Donuts every morning. <laughs> so today I went to the drive-thru and the guy, the, the guy gave him a coffee and he was like, Tesla? And I was, I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, is that, he's like, is that a Tesla? <laughs> I was like, nice. no, it's an Audi. I was like, no, it's an Audi. He's like, oh, it looks like a Tesla. And I was like, and it's like. Maybe because you know, it's black. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. It was like 6.30 in the morning and I was half asleep. I'm like, yeah, man, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good day. But it's always cool when people, you know, say like that, that kind of stuff, especially when you're at like the drive-thru. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to put gas in the car on my way home and I was standing there pumping and the guy comes up in the car and he's like, hey, you want to switch? And I just kind of <laughs> looked at him. He's like, just for the day. I'm like, no, I'm good. Um, and then after he left, I was because I couldn't think of normally I ha- kind of quick, like just think of something witty, um, yeah. but I couldn't think of anything. And then after yeah. he drove away, I was like, Oh, I know what I could have said. I could have been like, Oh, you wouldn't like it, it's it's too small, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> Don't you hate that when you're like, at, You're like, damn it, I could have, like, I could have said yeah. something so witty and it just, just didn't come up with anything. Yeah, like like last year, there was a kid. He pulled up. I was leaving work or heading home from work, and a kid pulled up beside me in like a WRX, uh, like a newer one. Mm-hmm. And he pulled up beside me. He's like, "Hey, cool car." He's like, "I want." He's like, "I want to get a Porsche someday too." And um, 
I didn't really know what to say. And then after the light, light turned green, I'm like, oh, I should have said, you know, I probably paid less for this car than you did for your WRX. So you could actually have one right now. And then um, it speed off. <laughs> no, just like be like, because a lot of people like they see my car and they think, yeah. oh, you know, it's it's a third car, it's a toy, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he probably paid tens of thousands of dollars for like fifty, sixty thousand dollars for it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he's just some rich guy. And right. Right. especially because like if I don't have a coat on, like I wear a button-down shirt to work. So mm-hmm. I kind of play the part, I guess, too, to an extent. But yeah, right. In reality, I like my car. I paid half of what the average new car price is right now. Mm-hmm. The only downside is it's a sixteen-year-old car. Yeah, but well, like think... it, it is attainable. Like you don't have to be rich to have a car like mine. No, I don't think you have to be rich, but I, I think that you have to have a couple things going. You have to, I believe, have the resources either know how to do stuff yourself or have people that can help you out with like repairs and things like that otherwise you're going to wind up spending the equivalent of whatever that wrx owner is spending like if you had to bring if you had to bring that car to the shop or depending upon how particular you are about maintaining it right that goes anything it's not just in the car realm it's like in the house realm you know, if you can fix something yourself rather than pay someone to do it, you can save so much money. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, but, but I also think that, you know, perception is reality for people, right? So they, yeah. see, they see this guy with a button down driving a Porsche, you know, they immediately think you're probably, you know, making, you know, six, seven figures you know, drive into your office on the main line somewhere, you know, and mm-hmm. they don't know what you're doing. Right. And for some people that's important, but I think for like, for guys, for like guys like us, we just enjoy the vehicles. I don't think my car costs as much to run as people would think. Now I did put a decent amount of money into it in the first six months that I had it, but it was repairs that I knew it needed. And mm-hmm. they were mainly because either the prior owner didn't want to do it. And I, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure it was right or because it had sat around so much and didn't get driven. That's why some things were not right. So mm-hmm. once I get those out of the way, I haven't really done anything. Like I was actually yesterday putting together my list of things. Cause I'm coming up on my 60,000 mile service. What does so that entail? Well, in this case, it's going to be an oil change. Uh, the brake fluid is due, and I think the air filter is due. I don't remember when it was done last. I have to check the records. Um, oh, the pollen filter is due, and that's about it. So, like, oil change, brake fluid, pollen filter. If I took it to the dealer, it'd probably be 800 bucks, maybe 900 bucks, which, mm-hmm. you know, isn't cheap, but it's I also didn't think it's as much as people would expect it to be. Stuff hasn't really broken for me. Like I, I replaced those two things that were leaking or, or broke when I first got it. But since then I've gone almost 20,000 miles. Nothing's really broken. I've just done maintenance wow. on it, you know, no, so I'll go wait for that. Yeah, it's been great. And so I'm enjoying it. Um, so I've, yeah, I was putting together the, that service together. 
And what I wanted, one thing I want to do that's not on the maintenance schedule is I want to replace the air oil separator because um, these engines do have a reputation for for something called bore scoring. And I'm trying to be proactive in in doing what I can to reduce or delay when it happens um, because it's pretty much inevitable from the videos I've been watching by How, a well-known well, engine builder. What would cause that, like oil starvation? Um, that can accelerate it. Uh, mm. They see it more so for tracked vehicles, but mm. it's partly due to what coatings are on the pistons from the factory. They aren't as durable as some of the newer coatings. And mm. so the coating wears off and then the piston skirt is scraping it against the cylinder wall and just scratching it and gouging it and stuff like that. So I'm trying to prolong the, that from happening as long as possible. So by what I'm doing is instead of oil changes every 10,000 miles, I do it every five. I make sure I'm keeping an eye on the oil levels in the car because it does burn some oil and just making sure I'm keeping up on my maintenance. I'm going to replace the oil separator so that that's working properly and not causing um, like blow by to be excessive and stuff like that. So that's on my list of things to do so that I know it's done. But for the most part, this is a fairly basic service. The next big one will be at 80 when I have to do the spark plugs again. That's got to be, you have to drop the motor for that? No. No, you can get to you. You take off the back tires, and you can get to them right there. Well, if if worse comes to worse, you can always do an LS swap on it. No, <laughs> I think I saw, I think I saw someone do an LS swap on a 911. I think, like a newer one, not a newer one, but probably like mid two thousands. Like, do you remember Gone in sixty seconds? Yeah. Remember that that silver one that they stole from like the beginning? Okay. It was a it was a Porsche. I think it was a, maybe nine eleven. I think probably. So I I, I, I saw someone do an LS swap on that. Yeah, I know I've seen people do it in Caymans. That's pretty common. Uh, and I saw a couple of YouTube videos where this guy put uh, a Honda K series four cylinder in a Cayman and also mm -hmm. in a nine eleven. But is that what the S two thousands use? Uh, no, they use a different engine. The K series was in like the early 2000s, um, Civic SI and Honda or not Honda Acura RSX. Okay. And also the Accords and stuff like that. VTEC. Yeah. <laughs> I love VTEC. We're coming up on an hour. Um, oh geez! Oh. Do you have any final thoughts for the night? Oh man, I didn't get to half the things on our list this week, so I guess <laughs> I'll have to push them until next week. Final thoughts? I don't know. Um, looking forward to a bunch of car events coming up. Uh, I want to talk about Carlisle at some point. There's a lot, of, a lot of cool events coming up, and uh, we can discuss that. But yeah, I'm just uh, excited for the warmer weather, and I gotta wash my car. So I'm hoping that I can do that soon without raining the next night. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's, that's about it for me. How about you? Cool. The next couple of weekends are going to be busy for me. I am going to try to get the cars washed this weekend, but I also, it's Mother's Day weekend mm -hmm. and actually it will have, so this 
episode is coming out the day after Mother's Day. So I'm going to have tried to gotten the cars washed and I also have to do some other things, but I'm really looking forward to some garage therapy. So, um, yes. oh, I have to change my the oil in the Infinity too. So I'm going to have a busy weekend. What does that take? So it calls for a 5W20. We put 5W50 in it. Uh, you put synthetic in? Yeah. My cars are some something that I don't normally skimp on. So like I, her car re- requires 91. I, I put 93 in it and uh, it's a full synthetic oil and, you know, everything that's on the maintenance schedule I always do. So. So you're a good guy to buy a used car from. Yeah. I can't say yeah. I'm perfect, but I try to maintain my stuff pretty well. Yes, I agree. I like it. All right. So that's it for us. Thanks again for joining us. You can reach us by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram. You can find us there, windingroadspodcast. I look forward to hearing from you there uh, and commenting on our pictures when we post them and uh, asking us questions. We always take your questions and um, we'll feature them on the podcast. Your feedback is important to us and we'd appreciate if you could rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, enjoy the drive.